everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. I am Mark, coming to you live from under deep underground in a comic book dungeon. And I am Cruz, coming to you live adjacent to the comic book dungeon in the comic book kitchen. I always think about it. Every time I do the opening, we're liars because we couldn't possibly be coming to you guys live. But hey, nobody's called us on it so far, so I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, this is the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast, your favorite podcast that deals with Marvel's back issues. We look at the weird, the esoteric, the forgotten. All right, taking a deep dive in Marvel's past, covering some stuff from the uh, 60s, 70s. We've actually, I think we've skipped the 80s because we've had a, uh, I think a 90s and some 2000 issues, but I'm sure we're going to circle back eventually to the 80s. I actually have a couple 80s ideas for later this year, so it's awesome. It's great. We're going to have a lot of fun. It'd be great to take a trip into the 80s and see what Marvel's got going on there. Yes, so we are not discriminating against the 80s. I can't wait to circle back around to those issues. And as a reminder to our legion of fans listening to this right now, you can talk to us by emailing us at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com or for our hundreds of listeners in the greater Detroit area, I want to remind you that the weekend of February 25th, I will be at the uh, Macomb Community College covering the Great Lakes Comic Con, the biggest Comic Con in the world that has the words Great Lakes in it. So be there. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Uh Actually, I think that this this is going to air, or we're going to put this up probably after the event. Luckily, we plugged it in the last two shows, so I hope you guys were there. Awesome. Cool. So, uh, yeah. what's been going on? I, uh, I don't have a lot going on. I've been reading more Star Trek books, which is what I do. We got a second dog that my wife really doesn't like because he was secretly part Pitbull that we've been fighting uh, or we've been disagreeing about, and both our dogs have had explosive diarrhea for days. <laughs> All right, onto the dog poop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been Lovecraftian. Some of the stuff that has come out of their butt, <laughs> the smells, the look. I've never seen anything like it. Um, so it looks like we're finally moving past that. But again, I uh, I don't have a lot of news. I said I've been reading a lot of Star Trek. I've uh, been collecting these for a while, and I binge them out occasionally, and I've been binging them out now. John Byrne, who, famous comic book writer, he did a lot of work on such titles as the Fantastic Four in the 80s. He does these great Star Trek comics where it's like a photo novel. If you guys are older than 30, you probably know what I'm talking about, if you can remember those from, like, say, the 80s. But yeah, he takes a bunch of, like, pictures from Star Trek, and he'll, like, change people's heads around or, like, swap palettes to make it, like, and, and then he puts word bubbles on it to, like, create new adventures. He's done some really fun stuff. So I've been binging those out the last week. That's all I got, because I know you have a ton of stuff. Uh, at least oh, that's what yeah. I've heard. Well, yeah, stuff. current events, the uh, let's see, the uh, wolf spider arena got flooded. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they, at like 9.30 at night last, jeez, uh, was it over the weekend? Yeah, as a matter of last, in 9.30 last, 9.30 at night on Sunday, or it was Monday, I forget which one, uh, 
we we hear this this whooshing sound and you know my wife's like I, I i hear running water and i'm like i can't figure it out and then i open the garage door and i hear the sound of water just hitting everything in the garage run out there oh, one of the fittings on my water softener broke it, it, it got corroded through anyone that knows any anything about metallurgy it's a reaction called galvanic corrosion where if you put two dissimilar metals metals together they'll swap electrons back and forth until one of them gives out well one of them gave out so uh, i had to shut everything down and in the process of repairing that i found that there was a leak almost at the slab underneath where my water softener was so I called my freaking landlord. I told him, hey, look, I fixed this thing for you. But uh, this other thing I'm not tackling because I don't have the insurance to cover it. So, yeah, but uh, it had it, <laughs> I found out my garage door is really good at holding water in as well as keeping water out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had a good solid inch of water in the uh, wolf spider arena the next morning. I know. I think you said that's where you keep your long boxes. <laughs> Yeah, my long boxes are in there, and thankfully they are elevated above the water, so everything stayed dry. I uh, I feel your pain in my comic book uh, dungeon here. I have a small room that's devoted to, it's got some Christmas storage, but the majority of the space in there, it's my comic book long boxes, but that is the the room with the water heater, but it's the only closed space. But yeah, I have it up on a pallet. So if there's ever a leak, I mean, it's got several inches just for that sort of emergency. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe throw on some plastic on top of it, because when water sprays, it sprays everywhere. Maybe I should be more worried than I am, but I, when we moved in, I bought, like, the drawer boxes, and I did, like, a big organization pro- uh, process, and part of that was every bo- book I have now has been bagged. I was negligent before, and I had a couple loose ones in there, but everything is sealed and i've heard from people who like live in apartments who like i've seen things online like oh i live in an apartment the apartment above mine flooded so i had you know like two inches of water on the floor and it all leaked on my long boxes i only had one bot like this like one or two books get ruined because of the the bag so i i think just with each one being bagged and boarded yeah i think i think most of mine are bagged and boarded so that's that's always good to have so what else? Let's see. Uh, me and some of the local guys in, in this neck of the woods uh, had a uh, a nerd tonight out, and we went and saw Black Panther for, on its opening weekend, and uh, that was really good. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. It was really, really good. And, and, and uh, how up how up to date are you with like internet memes? I am not. Okay. Not at all. All right, yeah. It, it was really good. My kids introduced me to this whole Ugandan knuckles meme. And, I have yeah, no idea what that dude, is. Dude, it's, it's a fucking rabbit hole. You don't want to fall down to it. But, yeah, basically, it's Knuckles from Sonic and Knuckles talking with a Ugandan accent, a bad one. And, and he there's a, there's a line he always he, they always make him say. It's, do you know the way? And there's a part where uh, T'Challa says, we will show them the way. And I fucking just busted out laughing in the middle of the theater. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've got you know, these three other guys that came with me. And they're looking at me like, what the fuck are you on? And I was just like, dude, you, you, uh, uh, I'll I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> I'm surprised that there's a Black Panther movie. I was 
blown away that there was a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and an Ant-Man movie. I mean, these are... I never thought I'd live to see the day that there was like a like a rocket raccoon was in a was in a movie, and I mean I'm I'm blown away that we're we're at that point with the the comic book saturation that because I I mean Black Panther it's not like he's a small character he's been with the Avengers on and off forever he's had several like crit- critically acclaimed books I mean he's he's a big part of the Marvel universe but he's just not somebody that layman's would know about and now he's not only like a household name but like you said i mean this movie has just been shattering records it's super popular it's got to say something for hollywood i mean you got to look at the cast in this movie was yeah it was like 90 some odd percent people of color and then you had a, a wide variety of strong female leads that were in there too what's his name chadwick bosworth was uh the lead actor i think chadwick boseman there you go yeah, I mean, uh, his performance was great. Andy Serkis was, uh, played a role in there that wasn't mo-capped, and uh, it was awesome. Um, Michael B. Jordan's role, uh, portrayal of uh, Killmonger, I mean, I don't know the characters of the Black Panther universe, but I can tell you that each one of these guys played a believable villain, a relatable villain, even. Yeah, Michael B. Michael B. Jordan did a great job. I don't enjoy, like I said, I don't usually t- like seek out a lot of the Marvel TV shows or movies. But I mean, it's pretty cool that we've had two Avengers of colors highlighting or color highlighting Marvel uh, yeah. media this last year. Because I mean, my Luke Cage is, I think, my favorite Avenger. I just, I'm a huge Luke Cage fan since the. Michael Bendis' work uh, is hit or miss for me, but when I loved his new Avenger run, and that was like the foundation of it, is he elevated Luke Cage into like a big part of the Marvel Universe, and since that new Avengers run, I've been a huge fan. Now, I believe it was his run that he we started to see Brother Voodoo as an Avenger. That would be a great movie. <laughs> cool. Because he, yeah, he was the Sorcerer Supreme for a while. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I love that they've, that we, like that, again, like now Wakanda is a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, oh, these are things geez. that I, you never, or I just never thought, like if you told me as a kid that Wakanda would be like this huge thing that everybody would know about, the Nova Corps would be something that everyone knew about. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a weird yeah, time. Yeah, and I will have to say about the, uh, the Black Panther movie, um, the world building was a huge freaking star of the show. I, I mean, the way they portrayed Wakanda was amazing. I mean, just the architecture and everything that they designed for it was awesome, dude. I mean, it, it, it fully fleshed out a section of the Marvel Universe that you hadn't seen before and made it look like a lived-in, established place. Because I think the only time that I know of that Wakanda's been seen outside of the comics, and I'm sure with the 30 Avenger cartoons, it's been done at other times, but the only time I I can think of off the top of my head was the Fantastic Four comic or cartoon from the early 90s. <laughs> so don't think that probably holds a candle to what the movie could be. Probably not. So, yeah, so I watched that. It was definitely, uh, I would highly recommend anyone that has any sort of interest in the Marvel Universe, go check it out. Yeah, I wrapped up uh, the Runaways, and uh, nice. Left at a point where it really diver- di- diverged from where 
the comic book went. So it, it's taken a really a, a completely separate storyline. That being said, the storyline was good. It's been, I think, like 10 years since I read the those early issues of The Runaways. But if I... I have two, two guesses from the major departure the show takes. So if you haven't read or if you haven't seen the show or read The Runaways, this might be spoiler-filled. I'm guessing that either it's what's-her-name with the purple hair doesn't die, or it's that their leader, he stays on, like, you don't realize he's the evil, he's the, like, the mole, he's evil right away. It's one of those two, right? Oh, there's several. There is several. Ruth, I think that's her name. No, no, the purple-haired girl is Gert. Gertrude. Ah, yeah, that's that's a Gert. No, she she didn't. She hasn't died yet. They haven't even gotten to that. Like, if it was a parallel universe, they haven't even gotten to that point in the timeline yet. The 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 departures mainly went along with the uh, parents' side of the story. You know, I mean, in the comic book, you you get this establishment. That, yeah, they're part of this thing called the Pride. They kind of freaking. You know, made a deal with a, a more powerful being that granted them some powers in, in exchange for them doing this annual sacrifice to to this being. Right in the TV show universe, Pride is the overreaching organization, but everyone inside of the Pride has their own little pet projects, and it's I forget her name, the the chick that's the you know like the rainbow colored chick. I remember her like superhero name that they that she tried to get to stick. It was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm blank. So I assume her is her first name just Lucy then. I don't remember because again, it's been years since I I, I read the Runaways. I don't proper. know. I, the, the thing they had with her and her her mother was that her mother was the daughter of a of a cult leader, and they had this huge freaking. You know, cult called the Church of Giborim in freaking LA. Yeah, exactly. It took a big departure. Yeah, because she's an alien, right? Well, she's she's half alien in the storyline. The alien is the alien is the being that they the pride pretty much sold themselves into service for. And the reason for the sacrifices in the in the TV show are that they they transfer the life energy from the sacrifice into the alien, who's her dad. And that rejuvenates him so that he can go on with his, like, immortal existence. And all this, you know, the magical powers that the Pride were given are, are basically now explained the way as some sort of a extremely advanced technology based on this alien's DNA and knowledge that he passes on. And also, there's this giant mineral deposit underneath L.A. that he wants. So I don't know if it's like vibranium or some shit like that. Something similar, you know, something similar to the lines of like vibranium, you know. Oh so, yeah, exactly. So they they really they really took a hard left turn from the comic book storyline. So I don't know if they're going to make the leader of the group turn as a, as the villain or not. You know, they they they're just now at the point in the TV series where they ran away. Well, that took him a while. <laughs> it, it took him a long... I mean, there was like a face-off with the parents and the freaking alien dude, Jonah, I think is his name in, in the series. And uh, they all freaking kind of, you know, they, they ran away and now they're on the run. Basically, it turned turned the last sacrifice, which was sort of botched, and the body was found. 
into something that the runaway kids had done. So they're kind of being set up and now they're on the lam is basically the story. So I have to wonder how much uh, how much the, the mastermind genius that's supposed to be their leader is in on this or not. Because there are indications that he knew way more than he's letting on. It'll be interesting to see how they reconcile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, overall though, it's been a it's been a good show. There's been some cool little plot twists and turns and everything, and, and it, it's kept it's kept the suspense. I was always a big fan of the characters, and then after the series ended, you would see them pop up here or there. It was like a lot of the the Marvel teen books kind of were interconnected. They meet with and cross over a lot with the Young Avengers. And then they, when Marvel did a Avengers Academy book, one or two of those characters popped up. And then, do you know who Arcade is? Uh, I've heard the name. Yeah, they did a great book that pissed a lot of people off a couple of years ago called Avengers Arena. And it was where Arcade had kidnapped a lot of the teen heroes and put them, and they made up a lot just for the, the series, and put them on this island. They had to kill each other. And it was like the last one alive, like arcade would let let go. So you got to see how these like teen heroes just get killed in brutal ways, or ha- like kill each other in brutal ways. It's pretty awesome. It was a pretty pretty bold series. Awesome. If you've yeah, any listeners out there who haven't looked at Avenger, uh, Avengers Arena, if you like if you like some fucked up stuff, I would say it's it pushes the envelope in ways that Marvel usually doesn't do. It's on Marvel Unlimited. I'd give that a listen or a read. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to a comic book. You're not going to get a lot out of it. Right. <laughs> so, okay. I will say that in the TV series, the, the characterizations of, of the, the kids, the teenagers, is spot on with the comic books. Alex Wilder, the genius guy, is portrayed very much so. He's a super smart kid. Uh... Carolina Dean is the uh, the the in, in the comic she's more of like a hippie. Uh, yeah. In this one, she she is like a new agey cultist. You know, she's the daughter of a new agey cultist, and she's fully immersed in that cult culture. I guess you could call it. Yeah. Uh, the the jock Chase, you know, the smart jock is spot on. He he is a jock, but he's also a genius freaking inventor. And uh, Gertrude is is definitely the same character, one hundred percent through and through from the comic book. What about Molly? Is she is she in it? She's in it, and yeah, she is the same. Her characterization is pretty on point. Um, she's a little bit older than she was originally in the comic book, I think, but that's about it. That's what I had heard. Yeah, they added people along the way, and the one that really. St- because there was at one point a scroll like prince who hung out with them because he was like betrothed to Carolina, but the the character that stuck and he's actually I, I think outside of Chase and Nico, the one you see the most often was he was the quote unquote son of Ultron Victor blanking on his last name, and he was added later on to the team. Victor Mancha. Yes. Actually, I have a Nico action figure in the basement. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was excited when she was part of the Doctor Strange line. It was I didn't see. I think I was going to get to see runaway figures and to see even just one. I thought was cool. There you go. Yeah, I've got to dig back and I, I want to reread the originals. I know I, either I have them in hard copy or I have them digitally. One of the two. They're all. I think all of them are on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to give them a reread. 
just to go over it again while I wait for the next season on the series. So, let's see, what else? So, along with those, not too comic book, not comic book related at all. I did watch um, The Greatest Showman and The Circle, which both kind of touched on some of the themes that you saw in uh, the Black Panther movie, which were, number one, the whole in- inclusivity thing, and also the the Black Panther movie did touch on kind of how, with the advent of modern technology, our world is getting so much smaller. Not physically, but perceptive, perceptually, I guess you would say. I believe the world is physically getting smaller, and you can see that since it's flat. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Uh yeah. So yeah, the the those are the comic book related things. Um, with the whole Valentine's Day freaking, uh, I guess with the in current events, the that last shooting in Florida, I decided I'm uh, becoming a Facebook warrior for freaking uh, making people aware of what the statistics are with weapons and all that crap. So I've been on this weird social freaking quest on social media too. Every year we go to the DIA, which is the Detroit Institute of Art, because they have a theater, and every year they show the like Academy Award-nominated films. And 90% of them are downers. Mm-hmm. And it was the first one this year was, a school, uh, was about a school shooting. Oh, jeez. So it was very topical. Of the five live action ones they showed, there was a school shooting one, one was about in Africa, Muslims pulling people off of a bus and trying and trying to find and execute the the non-Muslim passengers on the bus. I'm trying to remember the other two that were downers as well, but I mean that's that's always <laughs> you don't go in you don't usually feel good at leaving. Oh, one was about a deaf child whose mom sabotages her. Uh, getting the support she needs, and I am blanking on the last one. But yeah, yeah, they they have animated ones before that, and some years there's some really <laughs> downer animated ones too. So yeah, we laughed afterwards, especially because the school shooting one was just so topical. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. I I, I guess it, it finally hit a point where I'm just fed up of hearing this shit. So, <sighs> anywho, let's fast forward to a future where. Chemically powered weapons are scarce and few and far between. Yeah, let's go to a future where everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But that would be boring, so instead we're going to go to the future of Amazing Adventures featuring War of the Worlds. And for you guys keeping track at home, this is Amazing Adventures 27, issue 27 from November 1974. Ooh, 74, good year. This one, it had that annoying background behind the uh, the banner, but it was black. So, and the it, it didn't look. It wasn't that distracting because the the base color of the back of the the uh, the cover was black, even though it's very psychedelic and has a bunch of colors running through it. I I didn't mind having that background behind the uh, the banner this time. It didn't really get. It did. I don't think it robbed us of, of a lot of substance on the cover. No, I don't think it took anything away. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you and I are slightly of slightly different minds about this issue. I believe. What did you think of the cover? I really didn't like it. I, I mean, uh, go on. How you feel about the issue is actually how I felt about the cover. I would say I was. 
instead of I didn't focus on liking or disliking so much as I was baffled by it because this this cover doesn't look like something you would see in 1974. This is something I'd expect to go to the comic book store in like 1992 and see. Just the way that Kill Raven was drawn, except for the fact that you can see his and Camilla Frost's feet and they're normal sized. Other than that, just the way they're drawn, like how their musculature is drawn, the the look on his face, like he's constipated. Yes. The fact that he has to be, he has like two weapons, and he's got this like He-Man action figure pose. It's very. I mean, I was. I wondered at one point if this was a cover from a different Kill Raven series or something that somebody had put on it. And I realized how ridiculous that was as soon as I thought it. But I mean, it does. It looks like this would be at home in the 1990s. So it was, I mean, it predicted a lot of those 90s themes. There was a lot of weird stuff on this cover, too. Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's flash back for a second here to uh, the expression on his face being constipated. I think his whole posture indicates he really needs to drop a deuce. Which is unfortunate <laughs> because of Camilla Frost's pa- placement. This whole cover, it's its a weird departure from yeah. the rest of the, the covers we've seen so far. Because every other cover has told a story. We see... Kill Raven being attacked by like the antagonists of the issue. We get to see usually several of the free men. It tells like an abbreviated story of what you're gonna get inside. And we have elements of like the first conflict, but I mean there's no story here. I had no idea based on this cover what the hell was gonna be in the uh, in, in the issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean this cover, it's it doesn't give you much of a story. I I, I think like most of the other covers we've seen on on this series Kill Raven's been doing something that's really kinetic, that's really freaking, you know, it, it, he's been doing something that looks natural. This posture here and does it, not look natural. I, I mean, just look at his oh arms. No, it's very yeah, much a his pose. his arms, dude. They're, they're, they're tucked in. Like he, he's got his chest thrust out. His hands are freaking cocked at the wrist in this really fucking janky manner. It doesn't look right at all. It, it doesn't look like the Kill Raven we, we've seen over the last like freaking eight, nine, ten issues. It, it, and again, it's the the covers we've seen so far are very seventies esque, where you have word balloons and you get like a little mini like vignette from the the issue. And this one, it doesn't tell a story. You just like you said, you have Kill Raven posing in the center. There's no background. Like the background, it almost it's it's very psychedelic. It looks almost like he's in a, a nebula, and then the the red orb behind him. Okay, so you have Kill Raven front and center. You have Camilla Frost in a very demeaning pose where she's like grabbing on to his uh, uh, like calf, yeah. like she's like looking to him for protection, which she would never do. Exactly. And there's a big red orb behind him, and if you I'm. I think that's supposed to be Mars, because yeah. if you look at the banner on top, it's the same red orb that's behind the tripods that's always in the banner. Yeah, that's my like you said, he's Yeah, he's got a sword in one hand with something that looks like a laser blaster, but we, we learn later on it's computerized Harpoon Impaler M600 series <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you open the issue. And it has these tentacles coming out of nowhere, and they look like if you've seen Tremors, they look like the uh, like the the tentacles from the the graboids. Yes. So you have no, I had no idea how any of this tied into a coherent story. So you don't get like I I think we've said like for several of these covers, 
you look at the you look at those those previous covers and you get a little like oh I see what's going like this is a scene from inside the issue I want to see like I, I it makes me want to open it up and see like see how this plays out in the story this doesn't tell a story it just has a bunch of random aspects posed together for something that looks cool right yeah so yeah and it's I don't know I I looked at it when I first saw it I just. I just looked at the posing and I was just like, okay, I don't really dig the posing. The the uh, the tentacle graveloid things look cool. I didn't like the posing of Killraven. I definitely didn't like the posing of Camilla, Camilla because we know she did not freaking. It, did, it, it's very sexist. Yeah, she wouldn't be. She would not be doing that. That character would never be doing that. And again, I, I think that this this predicted some of those later comic book covers. Because the seventies or in the seventies, you would see something that would really like absolutely tell a story. This is something that just has a bunch of cool elements thrown on there too. Like, wow, that looks really cool. I don't care how much it has to do with the actual issue and the artificial posing, the showing off of physical attributes, having to have as much weaponry and whatnot. I mean, this is again. I just I was blown away, just especially just his pose and his face. How nineties. Just 90s-esque, this, this red. Okay. However, we do learn that this is uh, the Day of the Death Breeders, exclamation point. And then I love the, in the lower left-hand corner, this is it, the most widely acclaimed science fiction series ever. I highly doubt that, but I thought this was a great issue. But we'll get into that <laughs> in a little bit. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Let's pop this uh, baby open yeah. because there's a lot of stuff going on. Alrighty, man, I'm surprised that Kill Raven's not pissed off because it's somebody, and I'm going to assume that it was Old Skull, got some blue, uh, white paint out, and we see on this opening splash page <laughs> that they're on an ice boat, but it's not an ice boat as we know it. It's on like hover skis. So it's hovering above uh, Lake Michigan. So it opens up on Lake Michigan, March of 2019. So this is the first post-Washington story that we get where we actually date it what, when this issue takes place. We know that from previous issues, they've been on this journey since his vision was in January, but they haven't been dating these as we've gone along. Right. So, uh, let's see. Yeah. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, on the ice boat, like I was saying... I think Kill Raven should be pretty mad. Somebody got the white paint out and they put the uh, the title of the cover, just painted it across his uh, his red sail. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be pretty annoyed. Yeah, it definitely would tick me off. I mean, what the hell? How do you how do you feel about boat design? Well, you know, I, I mean, you said it's hovering. It, when I first saw it, I, I thought basically it was just trying to convey that it was going really fast and it, it kind of jumped a little bit or something. That is probably a more accurate read because it looks like there might actually, on those skis, there might be like like blades, like ice blades. Yeah. But I think it's cooler and more futuristic and a lot more metal if it's uh, if it's hovering. And so I don't know. I don't. I, that probably wasn't their intent. But I absolutely want to believe that that was their intent. Because for all intensive purposes, this is like a flying, futuristic, like, Viking ship with skis. Basically, and yeah. <laughs> you, it's got, like, a big sail. Hawk is up in, like, the crow's nest, nest on lookout. And it has this, this super long bow. And Kill Raven, you see he's got, like, a laser rifle in one hand. And he's, like, holding on to the bow, like, dangling off in the other. And it's just, it's 
Kill Raven has been very metal. It, like everything looks like it could have come off of an Iron Maiden cover in previous issues, <laughs> but they have outdone themselves with how metal this cut this is, and it just. I thought it was crazy and completely ridiculous, and I just, I, I fucking love this image. Okay, yeah, I, I will say the opening image is definitely awesome. Yeah, you've got some speed going on here. You've got Kill Raven and company on the on the ice ship, just freaking, yeah, and they are being metal as fuck. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> you know, and you've you've got the tentacle things, you know, popping out of the ice, and I mean, everything looks like. Everything looks like something out of an Iron Maiden cover, just like you said. I mean, this is this is super fucking metal. Yeah, these tentacles that like two tentacles are popping out of the ice and they're about to attack the ship. Those must be like twenty feet long. Right, and they're no, they're nothing but a freaking tentacle with a shit ton of teeth at the end. Yes. So. So I. Badass. Totally badass. So, but again, we learn that this is March 2019, and that they are crossing Lake Michigan on this ice ship, and now they're being attacked by these giant tentacles. Next page, page two. Uh, um, what about the uh, credits? Oh, you got Jack man. Abel as the inker, P. Goldberg as your colorist, John Costanza as your letterer, and as always, Roy Thomas as the editor. Yep. Don McGregor writer, Craig Russell artist. Yeah, I was so into this issue, I almost uh, I almost moved on before we gave uh, artistic credit. There you go. We would have gotten at least 30 angry emails. Exactly. Can't have that. So, we're we're only on page two now, and immediately the uh, we learn that these tentacles are sea lampreys, and uh, immediately one latches itself onto Grok's back, and he's just it's attacking him. It's, it is just chewing his ass up, man. Yeah, the other tentacle, and I thought this was a great callback. Mm-hmm. It's going after Hawk, so Hawk is dodging this attack, and like it's. You can see, like, the mouth on the end of it is, like, salivating, and it says here that it's 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 acid, and it reminds him of the sound the acid made when it hit him in issue 21, and it, like, he said, like, he can remember the sound the acid made as it ate through his cheek down to the bone. Yeah, he's definitely having a, a bit of a flashback here. Yes, so I thought that was a great callback, and we don't get a lot of good characterization from Hawk, so that was, like, the one thing that I think adds like dimension to his character so the fact that they're calling back to it i think is nice yeah yeah and I, I think they actually did a good job with hawk this issue yeah i love that as he's dodging the you don't see it really on that lower panel but in like the, the splash the, the larger center panel you see that he's like like errol flynn like a pirate he's on like the rigging and he's like swooping in front of the main sail to dodge the the tentacle the, the lamprey and while that is going on as I mentioned before, when they got the ship, apparently Kill Raven uh, found a what he calls a computerized harpoon impaler M six hundred series. Which every issue, it's like they go out of their way to outdo the ridiculousness of the names of stuff. Previous issue, so he's now attacking the Lamprey with his new uh, weapon. Right. Yeah. And uh, as he's doing this, there's a little bit of a uh, back and forth between him and Mashula. And you've got Camilla running to try and aid Grok. Yes. And uh, we see, while this is all going on, we see rearing up on its hind legs the uh, serpent stallion that Killraven acquired last issue. Yes. So, yeah, Camilla 
Um, Ashula's trying to help out Camilla in that next panel, uh, but it looks like uh, one of these tentacles knocks his crossbow out of his hand, and Camilla is just basically attacking the one that is attacking Grok with her bare fists and her elbows. Yeah, fearlessly, yeah, she jumps in, is doing anything she can to try to get this thing off of Grok's back. And you can see, I mean, it is just messing him up. Yeah. Takes us to page six. Yeah, page where, six. So, Killraven is trying to pull Camilla away from Grok before she gets herself killed. I don't know why she's not using uh, one of her star piercers. I think she maybe she panicked. But yeah, she ran up and she's actually like raking her nails over the sea lamprey trying to get it off of Grok's back. And this is... We talked about this, maybe this is what we were going to see after the Indy 500 issue, where Killraven was going to be start, start to be less of a dick and more of a leader. He's toned down his t- dickatry a lot, this issue. He genuinely, he's like yelling at Camilla, but it's the, like, you're going to get yourself killed, like, what are you doing? Like, he seems very concerned with her. He's spends a lot less time insulting her this issue so finally we're seeing a a kill raven that you don't roll your eyes at for being a sexist tool every two pages yeah yeah so uh, he he kind of gives a nod over to uh hawk and hawk swings in and pulls camilla off a of grok while kill raven uh tries to uh line up a shot on uh the tentacle that's attacking grok that is an awesome panel where Hawk swings in and grabs Camilla. It's a very heroic pose that Hawk's in, and we don't usually get to see him do something that cool. So I like that he got to... He, I, I felt he, he, he felt more like part of a team, this issue, and I like that. Yeah, yeah, he did, he did feel like more, more like part of the team. That unfortunately doesn't work out for him here. <laughs> no. Because Camilla is nobody's damsel. And as soon as he puts her down, Camilla punches him in the face, and I mean, just without any warning, and it just drops him. Yeah. And she and she warns him to stay down or she'll do it again. <laughs> so this is quite far from the helpless damsel we see on the front cover. Yeah, yeah, she just lays freaking Hawk out. And while that's going on, we see Kill Raven like, he grabs the rigging, and he's, like, hoisting himself up, like you said, trying to get a, a shot in to, uh, to be able to help Grok. I will say, there it's drawing it out. Grok is uh, clearly in a great deal of pain, and I don't know if there's... How much of a bond is there between him and Camilla? But she seems to be, if not feeling it, aware of how much pain he's in. And I think that might be what's driving some of her rashness and how she's handling the situation. Which, again, is a very different Camilla than we've seen. I mean, in past issues, that has been her major complaint to Kill Raven. You don't stop and think. You don't calculate. You just react. And in this scene, they switch. He's the one who's taking his time trying to line up the best way to help Grok. He's taking his time because he doesn't want to do anything uh, brash. And she's the one who's running in without thinking and reacting. So it's definitely, it was an interesting switch between their, their usual char- uh, characterization. Right, yeah. He he does have a, a witty little one-liner. As a, as he takes the, uh, the tentacle off of Grok's back, he, he comments to... Uh, Camilla that uh, as she Camilla's saying that if 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 it's still breathing she'll go back to raking it with her bare fingers again and Kill Raven's response is no need for that woman both you and the creature are alike now you're both gone to pieces. Dum dum. Man, I hope yeah, I hope they have some solve for that bird. 
But yeah, this is an awesome, awesome panel here because we see again, like Kill Raven now is like dangling like twenty feet off the deck, and with one hand and with his other hand, he grabs a silver star, and he lines up a shot, and he like he uh, is able to bisect the lamprey, and it, the silver star explodes, and you just see kind of explosion and what I think would be a little bit of gore there, and that's what it gets it off a of grok. And Kill Raven, again, he's not rising to, he's not being emotional, he's not lashing out. He just explains, he's like, I hope you know that I, I didn't drag this out on purpose. I had to wait till I could line the shot up in a way that I know it wouldn't have killed Grok as well. Yeah. So again, it's the, she, uh, she accuses him of never being calculating and never thinking things through. This was, how, uh, this was Kill Raven taking charge in this situation looking at all the angles and figuring out the one way that he could get in that he could fix it without making it worse without without killing Grok. So while she was like raking it and overly emotional. I mean it was a nice they kinda hit you over the head with it, but I thought that was a nice reversal of their their characters and I'm hoping that this shows some growth for Kill Raven. Yeah, I, I think it would. I mean, I think this is probably the first I- issue where he he hasn't come off as a overly smug douchebag. Every issue, like I said, I roll my eyes about what an asshole he <laughs> is. And no, I mean, he was really, like, really leading, taking charge, thinking things through. And I, th- I thought this whole page was just really well done. We see Camilla, I mean, she's she's checking on Grok. Uh, now that he's been released, she checks him and reports he's barely alive. And then Mashula puts an arm around her and confronts her. And then we get from the captions that these are both the acts of strength. Yeah. Yep. So after all this, we uh, cut over to what is this tower called? When I saw this tower, because I I looked at it for a second before I read the uh, the captions. It took me completely by surprise that this was in Chicago. I, I would have, I, I thought this was going to be like a switch to Yellowstone National Park or someplace in, say, Arizona or someplace with open spaces. So it totally, totally took me by surprise. This scene change. Right. Yeah. So this is this is the Death Birth is the name of the tower, I guess. Yes, which is an awesome name. I like the uh, yeah the double meaning there on birth. <laughs> mm-hmm. We see a giant golden tower that looks like it's, I mean, stories and stories tall. And this is in Chicago. It's a giant building called the Death Birth. Uh, and it's the, the Central Command building there because it's a complex of buildings. It's where the loop in Chicago used to be. And that we see that in this, that there's just these pens full of humans, one male and one female. And the two that we focus in on are Adam uh, 3031 and Eve 3031. Right, so my, my take on this was that they just name every male Adam and every female Eve. Yes, and it's just, yeah, it's showing us that there's thousands of these pens. Yeah, and yeah, Eve is uh, immensely pregnant and about ready to pop. Oh, yes. Their son's going to be born soon, and they hope it will not be a sacrifice. Right. And they kind of uh, they look at their lives, they ponder their lives, and they they think about how similar they are to cattle. Yep, and it looks like they're exchanging a moment of tenderness, and then a shadow falls over them, and with the shadow comes fear. Yeah, I like that we don't know whose shadow that is for another couple pages. Yeah, I will say that 
this next bit though I really just I didn't really care for this part I definitely if there's a low point in this issue I would ag- I would agree this this was a necessary scene but the way they handled it could have seemed a lot less like Kang and Shredder from the <laughs> Ninja Turtles cartoon <laughs> So I, yeah. I, I gotta say, I, your criticism is valid. Yeah, this definitely felt like Kang and Shredder freaking going back and forth on it. So, yeah, we, we cut over to, uh, is it the Supreme Overlord? Yeah, uh, the High Overlord. The High Overlord and Scar, old freaking cunt face, going back and forth talking about Kill Raven. Yeah, High Overlord is looking at a picture of Kill Raven, and he's remembering his loss to Kill Raven several issues ago and even in that issue he claimed that he was beyond base impulses such as hate perhaps the bio biochem mech armor which is another great name and uh for something and that's apparently the device that he's wearing it gives the illusion of anger because we see him strike an angry cobra commander pose Mm -hmm. so we've got the return of scar from issue 25 He's meeting with the High Overlord, and he uh, he reminds us that the High Overlord is the elite of Mar- Martian hierarchy. The High Overlord, or as I refer okay. to him in my notes, is Ho. Ho questions Scar about his encounter with Kill Raven at the Indy 500, and this is this is important here. And I thought it was kind of funny. The High Overlord gives Scar a folder, and we learn that on the next page, this is all this is information on Kill Raven, with a guy wearing a biomech armor who's giving information to a one-eyed mutant cyclops who drives futuristic spacecraft death machines. I thought it was weirdly... Uh, it was it's, it's very, very odd that he gives them an analog thing as a manila folder full of papers. And you see one folder is just... or one, one paper is just kind of sticking out weirdly. It was a very analog thing to do yeah. in this digital world yeah. that they live in. <laughs> two, two things that really bug me. And it's bugged me since we first met the High Overlord. Yes. Okay, number one, High Overlord's supposed to be a Martian. How does he fit in that suit? I've spent more time than I should have thinking about that. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we learned in one of the early issues that, yeah, they were, they're not uniquely adapted to, to, our, to our world. And I think that this was their goal, that, like a humanoid form. So I think that he, being the like the pinnacle of their society, he received an early experiment, uh, like this experimental armor that has elevated him to that status. And instead of mass producing it, he's I think he's kept it for himself. Okay, fair enough. And then so that is my theory. And the next question I have is how in the hell did Scar read that freaking Manila, Manila envelope? Um, it's in Braille. Okay, fair enough. Got it. <laughs> you win a no prize for that one. Ah. <laughs> I'm just cramming... I'm just getting all the no prizes. But yeah, in this page, uh, when he gives him the folder, H.O. or uh, High Overlord, uh, he uh, he's basically... I guess he's sending a telepathic message here to Scar, and he asks if his meeting is clear. Scar says he will not disappoint him. We see what's in the, the envelope, and this is actually pretty cool. We get a, uh, mm-hmm. a little uh, timeline of Killraven. A brief history of Killraven. Yes. Year 2006, Killraven, approximately six years, six Earth years of age, captured by human recruiting forces under the leadership of Dr. Raker, professional exterminator Saunders accompanying. 
2008. Killraven shows rebellious tendencies. He is placed under Keeper Whitman's observation. You have several children. Wouldn't you say that all eight-year-olds show rebellious yeah, tendencies? Yeah, I would definitely say so. And here's the most important bit of information. 2010, so 10 years of age. Well, Earth years of age. Uh, it's the first meeting with Earth subject Mashula in the gladiatorial pens. So, Killraven has known Mashula most of his life. Yeah, so I, I think that m- the Mud Brother commentary kind of goes a little deeper than uh, we originally thought. But again, it's weird because the definition that I got was that it's somebody from a different background than you that you share a deep bond with. I mean, Mashula has like the exact same background. So again, the only reason that they're mud brothers is because they're like, oh, you're very different from me because of the color of your skin. So you're sabotaging the exact, <laughs> like, the bond that you're trying to establish there. Yeah, who knows? I'm not going to try and make sense of that one. I mean, it's just like those early issues when he had to, like, talk like a jive turkey like, or, like, a, like yeah, do all the yeah, jive I talk. I didn't care for his jive talk. I, yeah, I didn't really care for the mud brother statement, but... I mean, you could tell for the 70s they were trying, but, I mean, this is filtered through 70s sensibilities, so their racial sensitivity is much different than what we exactly. would consider it today. Exactly. So, yeah, we do get a good close-up of Scar's freaking gaping hole in the front of his face. <laughs> just got <laughs> <laughs> like, Honestly, it makes me want to grab, like, a really deluxe-sized Q-tip and try and clean it out. <laughs> it's got to smell terrible Yeah, exactly Like when you haven't cleaned your belly button out for a while We were both stationed at Fort Irwin So I mean you would spend you know, Sometimes like a week or so Out <sighs> out in the field And it would be like 120 degrees So imagine the smell that your belly button would have When you came in from those conditions That's what I imagine Scars like moist face hole smells exactly like. and all the freaking sand you didn't up freaking getting out of there and dirt and lint and little shit trapped in your belly button imagine what's trapped in that freaking eye hole of his what i read on wikipedia is they cut a panel from the indy 500 issue where he couldn't find the keys to his tripod <laughs> and after looking for like five minutes they were in his little gaping mouth hole or face hole <laughs> oh god that's funny what was funny is the scene they caught where Killraven, when he's celebrating his victory, fucks it. <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot my mom listens to this. I have Mark's mom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we'll see if that makes it through like editing, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to get us back on track, because this next part blew my mind. I've I've been dismissive of some of the plot points in early uh, in, in, in in some of Killraven and I got or these amazing adventures and I got to say this issue just grabbed me and it just I just I love this issue from start to finish but okay so we're still on page fourteen this totally took me just uh, this totally surprised me HR uh, or I mean High Overlord tells Scar about the night that he captured Killraven and how he taunted Killraven with knowledge. Of, of his brother and uh, or not his brother but of Saunders and Yellowstone and that so he knows now because of that Kill Raven must be heading for Yellowstone I didn't see coming that the High Overlord through 
actually knew the importance of his boasting and was setting a trap for Kill Raven. That blew my mind. Right. Okay, yeah, I could feel you there. Yeah. It, I mean, he came off as very Cobra Commander-esque and not being very thoughtful with his little taunts and boasts. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, that was an extra little, just in case Kill Raven gets away... I, I now know where I, I know the importance of what I've leaked and I know now that uh, what his vain hopes are and where he's going. Yeah. I thought that was a nice layer to add. Like I said, totally caught me flat footed. Yeah, totally. I mean, who knew he, he could be that Machiavellian? Okay, he, he is thinking a step ahead on the game, so that's cool. Kudos to him for that. Yeah, this is like I said, I, this 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 page I thought was great. It makes up for the awkwardness of the previous page. Yeah. High Overlord tells Scar, you know, he wants to kill Raven dead or alive, it doesn't matter, but find him. Scar's boasting now that he'll bring uh, the High Overlord his head. And think of the effect that this will have in the Breeder Pens when they experience seeing a decapitated Kill Raven through the Mural Phonics transceiver. Or Scar will bring Kill Raven back broken, and his tears will wash away the rumors of his greatness. This <laughs> is such a fucking cool yeah, page. Yeah. They, they, there's definitely some I, diabolical planning going on there. You know, I almost expect a, a did, did you just Did you just dial a touch-tone phone? No. That was my alarm telling me it was time to go to bed. <laughs> oh, okay. Who could go to sleep after reading that, that page? Nobody. That's why I kept reading. This issue... It just kept me engaged every step of the way. I it was pumped up to eleven for me right here. I was very excited. I do I do like how everything you know, maybe this is because this is uh this issue's all around Michigan. It's funny you say that because now on page fifteen they are officially out of Michigan and they've hit a pier in Wisconsin. They're at the municipal pier in Wisconsin, and we see now they are unloading their serpent stallions. We see a fleet of ships that are frozen at the pier frozen and unusable. Uh, Mishul is watching over Grok, and Camilla asks if he's dead, and even if he is dead, it will not be, his torment will not be over, because it will survive in her. Yeah, that's what makes me wonder how much of a, and, you know, is this a metaphorical thing she's saying, or is there actually some sort of a link with her clonal man that, she, that we haven't been made aware of yet? Yeah, I, I love that they're each issue, it's like they're teasing us or they're cementing little clues for what they're going to right. reveal with that. So, but yeah, you know, Kill Raven's got his freaking horses. He's, you know, he he looks like they've uh, rigged up some sort of skid or something for uh, Grok to ride on, and the horses are, are pulling him along. So at least he's got some sort of, you know, makeshift medical transport, so he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, it was a clever way to. Just reinforce that the horses are there and that they there's more than one that they brought several of them that they're trying to break and use for their own uh, transportation later. I like the two panels at the bottom of the page because again, I think we get to see Hawk shine in this issue. Kill Raven is Kill Raven and Hawk are discussing Mashula and well, Mashula and Camilla and Cam- Kill Raven fears that. Mashula is losing his vision of the war because of his growing feelings for Camilla. And Hawk just, I, I love this, Hawk maybe, or asks if maybe Kill Raven, it, he doesn't fear that Mashula is losing his focus, but that he fears that, or that Kill Raven actually fears that he's losing Mashula to her, which was a good way to call out Kill Raven for possible jealousy, because we've learned this issue that he's known Mashula most of his life, and that maybe these aren't 
valid concerns so much as his own petty jealousy. Right, yeah. And I was going to say, this wouldn't be an issue of Kill Raven if he wasn't, mm-hmm. if somebody wasn't in the shadows sneaking up on him, and that's Pointing exactly a weapon what at him. Yes, I mean, that has to happen in every issue. If there was, like, a Kill Raven writer's Bible, that would be there. Yeah, okay, so show dark silhouette of someone sneaking up behind Kill Raven, and it is armed. Check that box right here. It's unfortunate that he doesn't get hit in the head this issue, because that's, that's kind of You know, thing. I was kind of holding out for that. I really wanted uh, this person to freaking clock him in the head one. But, uh, you know, I don't think it really happens. At least not in the way we're used to it no. happening. Uh, and again, Hawk is kicking ass, because he sees this, this person uh, sneaking up on Kill Raven. And before she can uh, she can take him out, you see that she's got Kill Raven in her crosshairs. We see Hawk take the shot, and it doesn't hit her. He misses, but it's when we go to the next couple panels. At first, I had actually read this a couple times to get the flow of events because I thought that originally I thought he had shot those harpoons, and I thought that was extremely racist that the Native American character has a gun that shoots arrows. <laughs> but no, I don't know if you were able to pull out what happened like right away, like your first reading through. But I had to read it a couple times. No, it's uh, it looks like a uh, hawk opens fire, misses her. But, you know, drives her off. It's weird, because you see his shot hitting, I don't know if that's ice or a rock or something, at her feet. And you don't see until a couple panels later like yeah. where his shots go. Or, like, his next shots yeah, go. Yeah, I'm calling that one her, uh, a couple panels by her feet. Yeah. And, and then she, fire, so she fires back a couple arrows at Killraven. Yeah, they're energy harpoons, apparently. Apparently. Incendiary spears, okay. There you go, incendiary spears. And, uh, you know, Hawk fires back, and he's saying, hey, you don't have to hit your target to kill it. Yeah, he shoots the glacier and knocks some ice down on top of her, which I think that would have held most everybody, but apparently it doesn't hold her. We see her from, she's able to melt her way through the ice, and when she stands up, we see red hair everywhere, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with Medusa of the Inhumans, that's a shot that's very reminiscent of her. Right, and uh, it turns out, yeah, out comes this uh, red-haired female that's carrying a gun of some sort. She's got the most 80s hair I have <laughs> ever seen. I mean, it is just up and out there. Yeah, it's almost like a mohawk, but it's oh. like it's like all just like kind of... It, it, it's like Little Mermaid hair underwater, except not underwater. That's a good way to describe it. I also think it's interesting that you, we can see that she's barefoot, you know, in this freezing temperature. She's not wearing pants. I mean, she's not wearing sleeves. So, I mean, this is a costume that for most people, shoot, would be very cold. But, again, she was able to burn her way through the ice. So they're telegraphing here that she has some sort of, like, flame power. Well, if you look at her feet in that, that full body length panel there, there's steam coming up from where she's touching, her feet are touching the ground. Yes, she, she's unimpressed with Kill Raven and his group. Hawk wants to kill her. Hawk wants to kill everything. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Oh, yeah, he wants to kill her uh, because he feels that Kill Raven takes too many chances and that they should just, to be played safe, kill her now while they have her at uh, in their at their mercy. Which, I mean, she's she does have a weapon there, but, I mean, they very much have her dead to rights, so he's advocating killing her in cold blood. Yeah, Hawk's a murdering bastard. Yes, he's. They've they've definitely let us know that he's an angry, angry individual, particularly after what happened to his face. So, Kill Raven and Hawk face off. 
but Hawk backs down and he warns Kill Raven that if she was a nu- that if she had been a Martian, nothing would have stopped him from killing her. Which is such a stupid thing to say because if she was a fucking Martian, it's not like Kill Raven would have advocated mercy. Right. So I thought that was an unnecessary kind of sulky thing for him to say. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed a little petulant. Yes, yes it did. So yeah, she's making her introductions. She basically tells him that she could have killed them all pretty easily. (laughs) So, so much for freaking hubris. And while she's doing this, it looks like she grabs Hawk by the wrist. She's not even looking at him. She's just, like, Hawk's behind her, and like you said, she just grabs his hand out of nowhere without looking. Right, and as these panels progress, you can see that, you know, Hawk is kind of going from surprised to angry and in pain to just freaking miserably in pain. Yeah, like, you can see, like, the heat coming off, and it's actually kind of a nice callback to the beginning of the episode or issue where he talked about remembering his skin sizzling, and here it's happening again, but with his wrist. Yeah, a little bit of foreshadowing there. And I didn't notice my two read-throughs, but her hair in each panel is changing. Like it's moving of its own volition. Yeah, it, it's doing that little mermaid shit, dude. I don't know what else to call it, man. It, it, it's like she's Medusa, who's a redhead as well. And, you know, Medusa, she has hair that she can control and prehensile hair. And she look, and this, this character, it looks like she has something similar. Right. Yeah, the next panel, like you said, you can actually see like the like the like the heat, like the smoke, like coming off of his uh, his wrist, Hawk's wrist. Yeah, he looks pretty fucked up. <laughs> He's like, first my face, now my wrist. What the hell? Yeah. So of course, uh, this gal, who uh, we come to find out her name is Volcana Ash, is uh, a little bit smitten with the Kill Raven. She is thirsty for some Kill Raven. <laughs> She's buying some of that KR Kool-Aid, huh? She goes from maiming Hawk to putting her arms around and trying to kiss Kill Raven. I really liked her introduction here, because we, as we've gone from a more emotional to a, a, a cooler head Kill Raven, we have this new character, Volcanic Ash, who I think represents that over-emotional kill raven that they're trying to get away from. She's the embodiment of those qualities Right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Camilla has a, a little bit to say about that as well. Which, uh, basically is just grok needs help. <laughs> yes. We learn that, yeah, she has some affiliation with the Death Breeders that we've seen, uh, in the previous pages in Chicago. So she's, her knowledge of, uh, of those death pens and the, like, the, the death birth it seems like she's going to be the element that's going to combine our A story here with Killraven with the B story with the Death Pens. And while this is while they're making these introductions, and like you said, she's uh, Camilla's asking for aid for Grok. We get another Killraven. Oh, what was this power? Clear oh. somethingance. Clear sentience. Clear sentience. Yeah, showing his clear sentience, where he flashes to Adam and Eve, three thousand thirty-one. Right, and it's uh, it's it's a pretty miserable flashback, if you ask me. Yes, because we get to see who came in and surprised them. <laughs> it's an overseer, Adelon the Fear Master, and he he makes him lick his boot. It's pretty sad. Yes. He's got white boots, and he reminds 
Adam how difficult it must be to keep white boots clean in these the pens. So he asked him to lick mud or he uh, the mud off his boots. I didn't see any toilets in those pens. I don't think that's mud that he's looking off his boot. I think you might be right. So, yeah, Adam 3031 or whatever licks it off. And, you know, you you get to the next panel and you kind of get a shot of the guy's face. And it looks downright fucking deranged. Yes. He almost, he a little bit reminds me of the Marvel character from the 616 universe, Quasimodo. He's got a, a messed up face. Uh, Adelon the Fear Master, which again is just a cool name. Yeah, it is. So, so yeah, he he puts his hand on Eve's stomach, and he's taking an interest in her birth, like her upcoming birth. Right. Yeah, and then you kind of move to the next panel. He, he, dude, he's got something funky going on with his face, man. That whole image is is weird because I don't know what it what, or what's supposed to be on top of his head, but it almost looks like there's just a mess of spaghetti sitting on top of his head. <laughs> Right. I don't know what's going on there. Somebody threw a colander of spaghetti on his head, and as a result, his right eyeball started bulging out. Yeah, or his other one is twitching. But with the dialogue here, combined with some previous dialogue, we learn that the babies that are being produced in these pens are going to be food for the Martians. Oh, yay. So, yeah, they're going to be born, killed, and then eaten. Yeah, that's, apparently it's a, del- a delicacy for them. Yes. So I cannot believe we have an, a, a Marvel 70s issue that deals with Martians eating babies. <laughs> yes. Baby eating Martians for the win. Yeah, this is, I mean, they were really pushing the envelope with some of this stuff. I'm, I've been very impressed with this series so far. So, moving on, let's see where are we up to. Well, this uh, this ends the flashback, or not the flashback, but the clear sentience that he was seeing at this through his clear sentience, and he's so angry with what he saw, this breaks the connection. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty freaking furious. So, yeah, he breaks the connection. It looks like uh, the effort of connecting and communicating through telepathy was rather exhausting for KR. Yes. We see him, he takes a, a second here to recover, but while they're going through this, a, they're spotted by a tripod that starts to uh, to chase them. Right. The, their heroes go on the lam, and they're running away trying to escape, but it looks like looks like Volcana found a, a hidey hole for them. Something happens here, and we uh, it, it, it looks like they made a mistake on the next page, but Camilla reminds them that rock is dying there's no way that he's going to survive a chase so mashula suggests that the rest of the team go on as a diversion while him and camilla with grok escape right and we can see in these panels like you said it's volcanic or volcano ash kill raven hawk and old skull that are now being chased and like you said volcana takes them to an old brewery <laughs> Uh, go figure a brewery in Wisconsin. Yes, like cereal in Be- uh, Grand Rapids. There, it's like somebody just looked at like, hey, I need a city in Michigan that's known for something. Cereal, great. I need a city in Wisconsin. Or Wisconsin, Milwaukee, beer, awesome. And they centered a whole issue around it. <laughs> it's like they had a, a child's U.S. like travel atlas, and they just pulled like the one fact from each state. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah. So uh, so yeah. Their volcanic ash is pretty sure that the the tripod can't follow them into the brewery. She's absolutely wrong because it breaks through the wall. 
And not only that, it starts to or it lowers some shock troops. Right, and it looks like it's getting ready to get busy. Yeah, um, I like these shock troops because they're they're wearing like these suits that look like skeleton Halloween costumes. Yeah, yeah, it's like a black kind of like I don't know one piece unitard with a skeleton painted in white on top of it. Yeah, that is the least scary thing to have your troops wear. A Halloween costume. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's definitely not having what they probably hoped the effect was. I don't think anyone would be running in terror from this shit. No. But we learn that they are, that these Halloween enthusiasts are called Death Breeders. Right. They plan to kill all the free men, but they want Volcanic Ash alive. Yes. So, they go in pursuit. Kill Raven, uh... Being Killraven finds the first ladder he can and starts climbing it. Yes. I think he watched a lot of 70s TV, so that's the cliche that you would you would fall upon in these situations. And Apparently it's the wrong thing to do because him being Killraven, he's ambushed. Yep. What is it with him getting ambushed all the freaking time, dude? He, he has horrible situational awareness. Right, so he gets ambushed. First thing he does is he kicks a bad guy over the edge and dumps him in the freaking beer mix. So the guy's gloating about how he'll be famous for killing the notorious Killraven, and then in this cool gymnast move, Killraven wraps his legs around the guy's neck and flips him off the side of the uh, the platform they're on, and yeah, he dumps him in like the 30-year-old or 20-year-old fetid <laughs> brine. Right, so he dumps him in there, it gets kind of grody, and... Okay, so what happens with this tripod? That's my question. Okay. Okay. So yeah, they there's these giant vats of rancid beer. So oh. he knocks the one guy into okay, it and he I drowns. The first time so I then heard. he Okay, go on, yeah. So yeah, so now he takes a silver star, throws it into the the vat of beer, and these his silver stars explode. So the vat explodes outward and just this tidal wave of of rancid beer runs into the tripod and knocks it over. Right. Now, yeah, I don't think we were told whether or not this was Scar that was chasing him or not, huh? What's that? Well, Scar had his devil's marauder, oh. and he said he was going to go yes. take out Kill Raven. so... Oh, uh, no. Yeah, I don't think that this was the devil's marauder. I think this was just a, sta- uh, a Halloween uh, uh, enthusiast-filled tripod. So yeah, I think Scar's still out there. Yeah, I think you're right on that count. So, so yeah, this uh, this tripod apparently slips in the freaking uh, beer, and, and down it goes. Yeah. So then these last couple panels, we see they make a mistake because in the you see Scar with Killraven, and now Killraven is remembering back to a few issues ago where uh, Lando <laughs> uh, and <laughs> where Saber was talking about uh, celebrating with some ale. And so they stick their, he sticks his finger into the beer, and he's like, oh, is this what he meant by ale? Then in the next panel, you see Mashula say, strange, ta- or a uh, strange taste that Saber had, very strange. It's the panel before, you can see it's Old Skull. So I think they screwed up, they put Mashula in instead of Old Skull, because Mashula shouldn't be there, he should be with Camilla Frost with Croc. Right, yeah. Because in the next panel, too, we see... It's just, it's Old Skull, Kill Raven, and Ash, and Hawk didn't, uh, I guess they didn't feel like drawing him. Yeah, whoopsie. So, Kill Raven is pissed. He demands that Ash tell him more about the Death Breeders and plans to attack the Death Birth. 
And next issue, the Death Merchant of Chicago. Did you uh, did you read the story? Oh yeah, the AB story. I read that thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. So it sounds like you were a big oh, fan, man. Okay, look, for me, the Killraven story was meh was okay you know i think we could have done a lot more at volcana ash but i understand there is some uh exposition that needed to be handled you know and they needed to flesh out freaking ho and uh scars kind of rolling what's going on here this whole uh the strangers thing i mean again it was just like a bad like m night schmilan freaking movie thankfully it was only like three pages long I have a bit of a different view of this issue. This has been, hands down, my favorite issue of Amazing Adventures. I thought the the whole idea of the death pens, and we... Because we've seen that the Martians eat people, like they've mentioned that before. So seeing that they have, like, factories where pi- uh, children are born and then uh, killed and eaten by Martians, that is insane for a Marvel comic. I don't know how they got that past the code, the, the Comics Code Authority. But just the... Grok is dying. We get a lot more of Hawk. He plays a bigger role. We get a new character. We get introduced to two humans in the pen. We set up that this whole quest to uh, the to Yellowstone Park has been a trap this whole time. Just all these things coming together. And what I'm hoping for next issue is that we have the core group with Volcanic Ash and Kill Raven, but now that there's Mashula and Camilla Frost are separated, that maybe they'll go on a different adventure. Like, oh, Team A is heading towards Chicago, but now they're also missing Mashula and Camilla, and they have their own adventure. I think that would be badass, and I think that's... If that's what they did, I think that was a clever way to establish a couple different stories. Yeah, they could have done that. They could have done that for sure. So, let me just ask you this. Okay. Would you agree, which statement do you agree with more? A, this was the best issue that we've covered on the podcast so far, or B, you're a big fan of President Donald Trump? Which one of those statements more encapsulates your feelings? (laughs) Uh, A. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How dare you, sir? (laughs) No, I mean, I like that when we, we discuss this, because I think you like the last couple issues a little... I didn't dislike them, but I think you like them a little bit more. And it's fun that we each kind of take away something a little bit different. Yeah, you know, I like the last issues because they were, they, were, they, were, they were more like our freaking... It, it was almost like an old uh, serial adventure movie, you know, where, you know, it's, it's Kill Raven's cross-country journey. And, and this one was part of that cross-country journey, but this was uh, the incorporation of High Overlord and Scar was a little ho-hum. And you really didn't get to see much out of this new protagonist of, uh, of uh, Volcana Ash, except for the fact that she's got freaking heat powers, sort of, that aren't really specified. I think they did this on purpose, because the, the next issue, I think we're going to get a lot of Volcanic Ash. I've... I haven't read the next issue, but I've looked at the cover, and the cover tells us extra, the shocking origin of the girl called Volcana. Oh, okay, cool. Well, hey. So I think that they did this on, on purpose because they wanted to devote more more time to it. Or I'm giving them too much credit. Yeah, well, I mean, she does look like an interesting character. I want to see what her story is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still smarting over the loss of Mint Julep. 
So she's a uh, Volcana seems pretty cool, but I don't think she's necessarily a replacement for Mint Julep. No one can replace Mint Julep, okay? Exactly. The Strangers, it's we see aliens are landing, they attack, they drive away, then they come back, and we uh, when they land, we see that they have, we saw humanoids before, there's now robots, and as the humans are all laughing, like, see how brave they are, they first came with the humans, and now we see the robots, and now the boxy-looking robots are like, ha-ha, the human-looking ones you saw before were the robots, we are the masters, and all the humans are like, what? Exactly. What a twist. What a twist. Yeah, it was, you could definitely tell this was due in an hour, and somebody just coughed that up on a page. That was, like, so fucking cringy when I read all that shit, man. It was just like, really? Come on, guys. It was quite bad. Come on. I think that's been the worst one so far. Ah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to gauge them, but yeah. I'm willing to say this was one of the worst ones so far. There there wasn't even, like, a surreal, like, Twilight Zone moment. It was just kind of a, whoa, what a twist. (laughs) There was no stakes. You didn't... There there was... I'm not going to say the other ones I cared about the characters, but, I mean, it just... It seemed very crowbarred. Yeah, it was crowbarding. It was it was kind of eh, meh, whatever. So yeah, I I can't wait to see more about Volcana Ash. I, I think I hope she can be an interesting character, and I hope we get to see Grok feeling better. And and you know, hopefully there are some separate adventures, like you said, you know, some Mashula, Camilla, and Grok freaking doing their own thing, and then Kill Raven and Volcana Ash and. Uh, uh, who's it, hawking old school in that party? Yeah, because I think that would be great if we had a separate adventure of Camilla and Mashula. We could get kind of an origin story for Mashula, and we could get the story of Camilla and finally the origin of Grok without it being interrupted with Kill Raven and all of his shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can even get that as a, you know, kind of like a, a, a bit of story time told while they're traveling where it's a getting to know you thing between Mashula and Camilla, and she gives them the lowdown about how Grok was made. Yes. Which would be cool. And, and, and in return, you know, Mashula tells Camilla how she how he came to be in the arena and how he came to know Kill Raven and all that good stuff. Plus, I, I think it would be nice to see Mashula without Kill Raven. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, their banter is, you know, still holding steady in there. They, they play off of each other fairly well, but I think maybe they need a little break. Yeah. I would love to see a group now just with Camilla and Grok led by Mashula where we would get to see him shine without being a second banana. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Again, as I said at the top of the show, we love to get or we'd love to get feedback from our listeners. So you can email us at comicbookdungeon at gmail.com. Or you could uh, DM us at a comic book dungeon podcast on Instagram. Or if you're one of those uh, Apple users, you could leave us a five star review on iTunes. Greatly appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, leave us a five star review, yes. yes. So yeah, we haven't gotten a lot of listener response, but I know you guys are out there because uh, I obsessively check our metrics, and uh, (laughs) every month I'm impressed with what we do, so I know we're getting a lot of listeners, a lot of international listeners, but yeah, I would love to get your guys' feedback, or just know what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're enjoying. Yeah, clue us in, let us know what you like. We've asked a lot of listener questions. I'd love to know your guys' favorite Star Trek, your favorite comic books, your favorite comic book that, or a comic book that you've enjoyed or a hero you've enjoyed that you're kind of embarrassed about now. 
all this stuff. Go, that's going way back to episode one. Oh yeah, awesome. Oh man. So absolutely, keep turning those pages, keep reading them, keep uh, keep on keeping on, as they say. Yes, and I would like to remind you guys that if Camilla Frost ever punches you in the face and drops you, stay down, or she's going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Oh, hey, we kept this one fairly short. Yes. It's because the action just kept moving. <laughs> and I've had to pee like a motherfucker. Same this whole here. time. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been walking around the last five minutes doing a poop or uh, a piss walk. Doing a little pee dance over here. So, um, yeah, I'm going to stop Okay.
I've got something for you. What is it? A book. What's the book? A modest proposal. By whom? Jonathan Swift. And what is the book about? Eating babies. Like veal. Only babies. What? And I'm talking real baby back ribs. Oh, See? Foulest thing I have ever heard. Ribs! Dripping with sauce. That's disgusting! Falling off the bone! You sick bastard!